Our text for the message today is found in the book of Acts and it's chapter 13. And I want to remind you of the context while you're turning there. God has set aside Paul, formerly known as Saul, and Barnabas to be missionaries, to travel, to proclaim the word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ in other cities and in other places. We've seen how they went to the island of Cyprus and we saw a pattern established that they would faithfully proclaim the word of God and there would be some who would receive it and have an interest in it and be open to hearing what God has to say but there was also some who would be opposed to it and there was a pattern of opposition that was that we can expect as we faithfully share the word of God. And so they faced opposition but they remained steadfast God closed the mouth of the, of the opposer, Elimus, in that case, and blinded his eyes in the hopes of redemption. And they continued to proclaim the word of God. Not, when they left Cyprus, they went to Pergamum, and then they went down, up to Antioch of Pisidia. And there they gathered in the temple, the synagogue, actually, of the Jews. And there they preached Jesus. And we looked at that last week. The Jews were good at religion. They had all the statutes of God. They, they understood about the sacrificial system. And they understood about the role of the priesthood and the necessity to tithe. And they had the Ten Commandments. And on top of the Ten Commandments, they had books of rules of what righteousness looked like. And they understood religion. But there were some things they forgot that we see Paul making clear to them. From the beginning... From creation, certainly, but definitely from Abraham, when God set aside Abraham to be the father of the Jews. And from Moses, the deliverer of the Jews. And all the way to King David, it was always about God and his purpose and his will. It was always a reminder that they were God's people. God had come to them and that they were at this time when Paul was preaching... At this time, they were to recognize that the church was God's church, that they were to be the people of God, and they had made it about themselves. But not only do we have the fact that they had forgotten that, or they had missed that they were God's people, they were people who were working and focused on themselves and their activity and their righteousness. But some of them may not have heard much about Jesus. Certainly, they had not had this proclamation that all that God had been promising down through the years, that He would send a Savior who would bring forgiveness from sin. He would send a Savior who would do what people cannot do, live righteously. That He would send a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for all sin has been accomplished. And it's all been accomplished in this man, who is God become man, Jesus Christ. And so Paul preaches Jesus to them. Now, our what we're going to look at today is their response. God spoke to them. And their response. But there's some things that we need to lock down before we get to the application of this text. And this, this message is heavenly, heavily applicational. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about some clear expectations, how we are to respond when God speaks. But there's some presuppositions that we got to establish. God speaks. God speaks today. Yes, he has spoken in the past. Yes, he has recorded this in his, his words for us. Yes, he has 
preserved them for us. And yes, his word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's still active. And God uses his written word. And Jesus, the living word of God, the logos, the mind, the heart, the communication, the word of God. And he uses the Holy Spirit today who indwells us as believers to give us illumination and understanding. And God speaks today. Now, that's our, our, our understanding. I want us to talk a little bit about how God speaks today and some things that we need to know in the text. Verse 40 and 41, at the close of Paul's message, this is Acts thirteen forty and 41, at the close of Paul's message, he gives, rather than an immediate invitation, he gives a warning. And he says to those who are listening now, they've just heard this sermon about how God has worked in history, how God has kept his promise, how that Jesus is the Savior. And he culminates that with Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus can feed you from what the law can never free you. And then he gives them a warning. He says, beware, therefore, lest or unless what is said in the prophets should come about. Now, this is what God had warned Jeremiah. This is what God had warned uh, Isaiah. There are other prophets who God said, beware, listen, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. So you can see, but you don't receive. You scoff, you ridicule. You can be astounded, but you will perish. Here's what he says, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So someone tells you God's word. Someone tells you God is working. Someone reveals to you God's activity. And he's saying, beware, because it was prophesied that even though this message is proclaimed, and even though this living word, Jesus, lived before you, and he is active in your midst and people around you, there are those who are just going to miss it. You're going to reject it. You're going to thrust it aside But I want us to get that foundation first. Listen, you can hear from God today. As a matter of fact, if you're a child of God, you should be hearing from God today. Amen? Now, I think sometimes we go to two extremes. Sometimes we think, well, God's there and I'm here. And yeah, I'll study a Sunday school lesson. Or yes, I'll read a verse. And we'll try to gain some more knowledge from time to time. And sometimes it may slip in. But we don't communicate with God we don't recognize that God is communicating to us as a man speaks with his friend you recognize that when Moses went to the tent of meeting in Exodus chapter 33 when the children of Israel were camped outside of Sinai and as they were going through the wilderness the tent of meeting would be set up and Moses would go there and God's glory would descend upon the tent and the Bible says that Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend and sometimes we have such a concept of the transcendence of God that we we lose the personal sense of God. I have a friend, I was mentioning this to somebody this week, I have a friend who is a, a pastor in a predominantly black church, and he said, you pray different than we pray. I said, how's that? He said, well, you guys are like, hey God, how you doing, what's up? We never forget who God is. We never forget that He's righteous and that He's holy and that He's the Creator. And so we begin our prayers acknowledging His position and His power. And so I want you to understand that there's dangers on both sides. There's somewhere you have a transcendent God that you can never really connect with as a man speaks to his friend. And sometimes it's so casual 
that you forget the transcendent God is so intimate and personal, but God desires that we commune with Him, that we fellowship with Him, that we listen to Him. God speaks today. Now, just a few things. God always speaks the right message. And if you're taking notes, you can just go ahead and jot these down. I'm hoping that we'll get through this pretty quick. When God speaks, He speaks the right message The priority message is the word that they heard. And if you're still in Acts 13, just go back up two verses. This is kind of the summary of the gospel message that Paul preached there in the synagogue. In Acts 13, verse 38, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore. So here's the point. I'm summarizing this. Here's what you need to take away from this. That through this man, that's Jesus, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, that's Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Here's the point. Here's the message that God gives consistently, faithfully, from the beginning of time through the end of time when the Lord Jesus comes back, that there is a Savior, one means of salvation, one person who can, who can save you, who can forgive your sins, who can make you new and give His life to you. And that is this Jesus who died to pay the penalty for sin. This Jesus who was resurrected from the dead, demonstrating the power of God and freedom and victory over death, hell, and the grave. In Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. And in Jesus, you are set free from any effort, any work at self-righteousness. You see, the law cannot make you free. And being good enough cannot save you. It's all about grace. When God speaks to you, He may speak correction, he may speak instruction, but he always is gracious in his speech. He is a God of grace. Now in Christ, you are being transformed into the image of his Son. So when you come to God, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, in repentance and faith, God's not done speaking. There was a story, I think I may have told you this in the past, I know I've I've used it in times past, an illustration that uh, was a true story. It was a divorce case in England. Uh, In England, there was a husband and a wife who had been married, and the first year and the second year of their marriage went along pretty well, rocky times, but they were going along pretty well, and then they had a child. And uh, as the child got older, the parents began to struggle more with their own personal relationship until it got to the point where the husband quit talking to the wife completely. And the wife said, well, if he can, I can. And she quit talking to her husband completely. So they would leave little notes for one another. Pick up your dry cleaning. Here. I didn't mean to, I mean, they would still, they would sit at the table and not talk to one another. All this came out in the divorce trial. They would, they would sit at the table and not talk to one They would write notes as necessary just to communicate. Now, can you imagine being a child in that circumstance and in that setting? There was some communication just written, just a bare minimum, just practical, no ongoing relationship. Now, it came to pass that uh, they found out that this son, who was nine years old at the time, was kind of encouraging this because the parents were competing for his affection. And so... He would get one mad and they would buy him something and they would get someone else mad and they would buy him something else. And so he was he was making off pretty good on this deal. So he was okay with that as far as it went. But they started talking 
they had communication, even if it was rough communication, even if it was things they didn't want to hear, but then the communication just stopped. And for some of us, when we came to Christ, we heard the gospel message, the Holy Spirit clearly communicated with us. We knew it was God. We responded in repentance and faith. And then we went to Sunday school, and then we went to Bible class, and then we started a Bible study. But after a while, the communication just kind of goes away. And yes, we'll come to church on Sunday morning and we'll say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. God, you've been good to me and I'm grateful. And we'll sing a song or we'll say a prayer. Father, thank you for being here in this place today. And Father, I pray that you will do this and I ask you to do that. And so there's this kind of bare minimum of communication, but there's no openness to hearing from God as he speaks to us and communes with us. And so we recognize that God speaks, but he doesn't just speak to bring us into a relationship with him. He continues to speak to us. As a matter of fact, we should be able to hear his voice more clearly and more clearly and more clearly as time goes by. And God speaks the right message. And the message that he speaks to us is how we can know him, how we can experience and walk with him, not as outside of ourselves, but in an intimate, close relationship because he is working to transform us into the image of his son. And so he's got to change our beliefs. Everything that we've had in our head that's not true, he teaches us what to replace it with this truth. He changes our behavior. Behavior is always predicated upon belief. And when we believe right and think right, then all of a sudden we'll begin acting right. And he continues to guide and direct us. And so sometimes we'll come to God and we'll say, God, I have a question. We have a decision to make. We need to know we should do this or we should do that. Or God, are you really telling me this? And I will tell you, it is really hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. It is really hard sometimes for us to hear God's voice. We'd rather tell him what to say and have him affirm us in our decisions. But when we come to him in obedience and yieldingness, saying, you're God, I'm not. You're the master, I'm not. You're the king, I'm not. You are on the throne, I'm not. But you're also my dad, you're my Abba Father, and I know that you have what's best for me. At least I know it here, but I don't like the answer. We need to be cautious. We need to make sure that God, that we recognize that God always brings the right message and that he always brings it at the right time. There are times when you're going to ask God a question and it's going to seem like he's just not answering. There are times when you're going to seek God's presence and it feels like, it feels like he is distant. And you have to come back to truth that God is always present, that God is always guiding, that God is always leading. And even when you can't see it, and you can just go psalm after psalm after psalm, and you'll see many psalms where the psalmist begins by saying, where are you, God? My enemies have encompassed about me. God, there's no hope. God, I don't know what to do. And God, it seems like to heaven or silence. But always by that time you get to the end of that psalm, he has been reaffirmed of the presence of God and the power of God and God's wisdom in dealing with his people. God always speaks the right message at the right time and he always speaks through the right means. So how does God speak today? He speaks through his word. How did God speak to the Jews and the Gentiles and the God-fearers in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia. They couldn't open the New Testament. This is, this is the New Testament was being lived at that time. And it was recorded, this section of the New Testament was recorded later by Luke as he interviewed Paul and Barnabas and those. So how, what did he do? 
he opened the Old Testament scriptures to them, the, the truth that they had, but he spoke through a preacher. He spoke through a message. God not only appoints the message, he appoints the means. We believe that God has spoken in history and that by inspiration, the Bible is the authoritative deposit of God's word for all time. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. That the child of God, the man of God, may be perfect, thoroughly equipped to every good work. We have God's revealed and preserved word in Scripture. Now, when the Gentiles heard the word of God and they were rejoicing and glorifying, verse, verse 48 uh, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so, yeah, I want you to understand that God appoints the message, and God does it, and He works sovereignly. But He also appoints the means that the message is delivered. And it may be through a sermon that you hear, either on Sunday or on YouTube or in your car. I don't know. It, it, it used to be cassette tapes when I would ride down the road, but most people... We don't do cassette tapes anymore. And so now it's kind of podcasts or apps that I can listen to pastors and preachers or or Bible teachers. It may be in a Sunday school class where you've got a teacher who has been studying the Word of God and studying a particular passage, and you're sitting around the table, and he says something to you, and it's God speaking through him to speak directly and apply it directly to your heart. It may be in a personal Bible study. You may be doing a first five study or you may be doing a a Proverbs study or you may be having some other type of study that you're going through. And all of a sudden, God just clearly brings illumination. Not only here's the truth, but here's the truth for you today. It may be a friend who comes up to you and says, I notice you're having trouble. Or you go to a friend and you ask them a question and they speak. And when they speak, it is the Holy Spirit who lives within them, bearing witness with the Holy Spirit that lives in you, that what they're saying, God has said, and he's applying it to your life today. Now, there's two more. There, it may be through circumstances, and it may be through creation and nature and through God's work. But God is continually revealing himself. And I just want to take a minute here to talk about two different means of communication or words that are used in the new testament you've got logos and you've got rima are you have you ever heard those two words before logos is the word of god it is true for all people at all time without exception it is truth that is eternal and dependable it is true truth to quote francis shaver you got the logos and then you've got the rima and the rima is when god speaks and takes this eternal truth and he says, and this is what this means for you in this circumstance at this time. It is the intimate, personal communication of a living God to the heart of his children. God always speaks the right message. He always speaks in, 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 at the right time. He always communicates to you through an appropriate means. And he always speaks for the right purpose. In verse 38, he's proclaiming Jesus. The only one who can forgive sin. In verse 39, he's proclaiming Jesus. The only one who can set you free from what the law could never set you free from. He is always proclaiming peace. In Christ, we have peace with God. In times past, we did not. He is always proclaiming God's presence and power and strength in your life. You need to know, Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, 
that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Word of God will also correct and reprove and rebuke. God's Word shows us the things that we need to release and the things that we need to embrace as He's continually conforming us to the image of His Son. Now, we talked about God speaks. He speaks today. God always speaks the right message. He always speaks at the right time. He always speaks through the right means. He always speaks for His glory, for the right purpose. But God speaking always requires a response. Now, all that's the introduction. Here's the sermon. You guys ready? How do you respond when God speaks? What is the right way for us to respond to the Word of God Paul warns these Jews at Antioch. He says, basically, I'm one of you. I was right where you used to be. I used to, no, that's not right. I used to be right where you are. When, and again, I'm going to read into this a little bit, but be patient with me. When Philip came and talked about Jesus and how that God had ordained Jesus and how that God had worked through history to prepare the way for Jesus and then God sent Jesus and we are blood guilty because though we saw him and though we had had this exposure, we closed our eyes to that truth and we turned him over to the Romans to be crucified and he died thus fulfilling the very prophecies that we were denying. God worked through us in spite of us to accomplish his purpose and Jesus is the Savior. And Paul, I can imagine, is looking across at those Jews, some who are open and they are listening and they're receiving, but others who are like, no. No, just like Paul used to be when he sat on the Sanhedrin and Stephen preached. And he gives them this warning. Beware, beware. Because there are many of you who will not listen. Or your response will not be the response that honors God. Your, your response will not be the response that God wants you to have. And so how are we to respond? And the very first thing is, folks, where's the hunger to hear from God? When Paul preached, and after he gave this warning, there were people in the crowd who begged him to return. Verses 42 through 44. As they went out, these are the people, the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and the others who were part of the congregation. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Come back next week. This is just part one. We want to hear the next message. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, as Paul and Barnabas spoke with the crowds, urged the crowds to continue in the grace of God. Listen to what happened when they proclaimed the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, we want to hear more. They were hungering for this good news. So much so, they said, come back next week, but not... I don't even want to wait till next week. When they left, they followed them out, asking additional questions, continuing to engage. <coughs> and that kind of hunger to hear truth needs to be characteristic of us. They begged them. They followed them. And they returned the next week, by the way. You see, just a moment. Those people returned the next week, and they brought their friends so that their friends could hear this good news. One of the things that I've always loved about the story of Samuel as a little boy in the temple, when he heard from God at 12 years old, uh, uh, God, Eli, the priest at that time, had stopped listening to God. 
God was saying some things that Eli didn't want to hear regarding his own sons. And so though God spoke, Eli closed his mind and his heart to the words of God. So God spoke to little Samuel. And Samuel, when he realized it was God speaking, listened and obeyed. One of the things that the Bible says about young Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3 says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel held on to every word that God spoke, that God gave to him. He hungered for the word of God. And I just, just as a self-assessment tool, if we can do this really quick, uh, how often are you listening to the word of God? How often are you opening God's word and asking God to speak to you? Uh, you? You do understand that God is continually speaking. That God has truth that is eternal truth. That God's word is living and that we are to hunger and thirst to hear from God. But I will tell you, uh, sometimes it's so easy to get distracted and to hunger for other things. My wife takes very good care of me. All right, She takes very good care of me. She feeds me healthy food. There's one major problem with that. I prefer chocolate. And when I was a kid, dessert followed the meal by my parents' statute. This is the rule. No dessert until after the meal. I am no longer living under the roof of my parents. What that means is that I can eat candy before dinner. I can eat candy for dinner. I can eat candy after dinner. What is the problem with that for me? It is a bad decision. It is a bad decision. It is unhealthy. It is wrong. And by the way, I have all the little sayings about how God invented chocolate and God makes nothing that's not good. And yeah, I, I want you to understand. So chocolate and coffee, I could, I could seriously live off of chocolate and coffee. My wife makes sure that I don't live off of chocolate and coffee. All right. She cares for me in a lot of different ways. I will tell you one thing and she'll probably get mad at me. Hi, hon. Uh, she's, she's at home watching. She, she might be frustrated. But she is wise enough that when she buys chocolate, she hides it in the house. <laughs> so that I can't get into it too quickly. Now, she's gracious in that she buys it. And she's wise in that she hides it. But don't do that anymore. Huh? She's wise in that she hides no, no, Here's the point. Here's the point I want to make. And it's, it's a little bit funny. And that's probably a little bit closer look at my life than you want to have. But here's the point. God's word is more to be desired than gold. God's word is sweeter than the drippings of a honeycomb. Sweeter than honey. God's word is good for me. It is right and it is true. And sometimes it is hard and it is harsh for me to hear. And it's not what I want to hear. But it is always what is right for me. It is the right message. It is delivered at the right time. It is that which will bring me wisdom and strength and will change my life to reflect the character of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life for me. And when I spend more time on junk, when I spend more time on entertainment, 
When I spend more, and I don't mean that you shouldn't have joy and that God didn't provide entertainment. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you are out of balance, when you hunger for fluff, more than you hunger for the nutrition of God's Word as a believer, then you are shorting yourself. You are being rebellious and disobedient to the clear instruction of God's Word. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hunger. Here's what God wants us to do and what He places within us as we come to Him in repentance and faith. Seeking Him first, we hunger to hear from Him. We want to know what decision to make. We want to know how we should think about this. We want to know what response we should do here. We want to know Him more fully and more completely. We should hunger to hear from God's Word. Just like these people. Teach us more. We want to know more. We want to understand more. We should know more. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is talking about the foolishness of the world and the wisdom of God. And when he's talking to the church at Corinth, he's already said we came before you preaching nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Now he says, we impart God's truth, God's wisdom, God's truth in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, those who have spiritual life. This is what we have in the New Testament. God's Word given to us in the divinely taught words of men, words of preachers and teachers, words of those who have studied the Word of God as Paul taught it, but also in the written Word of God. God's Word comes to us in a language that we can understand. You guys know for for 13 years I was pastor of a deaf church, or deaf churches. We started churches in South Texas, and it was a different environment. And one of the first conversations I had with a deaf man who was raised in South Texas, had never been permitted to go to school. He said, God speaks, but I'm deaf. Does that mean I can't know God? And the answer to that question was no. God always speaks in a way that you can hear His Word. God always speaks clearly. And our problem is not so much that we don't know what God says. Our problem is we're not willing to embrace what God says. We're not willing to do the things that we know to do. And that takes us to the next point. What did they do? When the Jews saw the crowds, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. They were reviling him. They were calling him names. They were shooting down his reputation. But Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. This is your persistence in the gospel. Saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And here's how it's characterized next. But since you thrust it aside. They're saying, and those are very, very strong words in the group. Since you took God's precious word and you have refused to listen to it. And you've closed your mind and your heart to it. And you have rejected it and pushed it away from you. Since you have thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Now God had appointed them to the Gentiles. But the gospel always went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. According to God's plan. God's God's people. God's plan from the beginning of the age. And when they said no, the Gentiles are grafted in. And we won't get into Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11 today. But I want you to understand that there are two ways that we can respond to the word of God. And when you come down to the ultimate, there are only two ways. One is to thrust it aside. But the other is to do the opposite of thrusting aside. It is to embrace it. 
to cling to it, to listen to it, to allow God's Word to have His work in us. You may not like what God has to say. You may not want to hear what God has to say. You may even rebel against it and fight against it for a time, but you need to come to a place where you embrace the truth of God's Word. And by the way, you can't embrace it if you've got your hands filled with other things. You can't embrace it if you've got your head and your heart filled with other things. There has to come a point of laying down my will. There has to come a point of laying down my issue and embracing and saying, you're God, I'm not. What you have said is true. I'm going to hold on to it. You need to come to the place where you fill your hands and your heart with the truth of God. And when you do, God's Word begins to work in you. Isn't that neat? God's Word begins to work in you. And that's the next point. You need to, by embracing the Word of God, let God's Word work in you. In First Thessalonians, Paul is writing a letter back to the church at Thessalonica where he had been, been and served and loved them as a mother cares for her children. He had nurtured them and come alongside of them. And he is commending them because they had received his words as what they were, the word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, they embraced it. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. What is it really? It's the word of God. The Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. God's Word works on us. God's Word works in us. God's Word gives us clarity and understanding. God's Word brings conviction and confession and repentance and changing. God's Word brings understanding. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So how does God's Word work in you? How does God's Word work in me? Number one, we know what it's supposed to do. It's the right message at the right time, through the right means, for the right purpose. So how, is, how does God's Word work in you? We live in a world, and I'll just pick some of our current topics. How about that? We live in a world that says gender doesn't matter. You can be born a male and desire to be a female. You can be born a female, think you're really a male, and so you can transgender or you can cross-gender. We live in a world that says sexual purity, as God designed it, as God gifted men and women with it, should not be limited to one man and one woman in the context of marriage for your life. And so you can have men who desire to be with men or women who desire to be with women or adults who desire to be with children. Or you can have couples who desire to have relationships, inappropriate physical relationships with people who they are not married to. And there can be a fair... Or you can get married and when that doesn't work out, you drop it and you go get another one. And when that doesn't work out, you just drop it and you go get another one. And you, and you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? This is the norm of the world that we live in. Would you agree with that statement so far? Are you with me? 
Okay. And we get sometimes the reputation as believers of being mean and hateful and sometimes just being one-trick ponies or one-verse singers that we get one thing that we're hung up on and we just hammer that one thing. But here's what we need to understand. When's God word, when God's word makes a declaration, and let me just let me talk about the sexual purity thing just for a moment. God's word, God our creator who designed us and knows what is best for us. God who is holy and pure and perfect and loves us completely and has demonstrated his love toward us once and for all on the cross but continues to demonstrate his love for us. When God gives us a law, a rule, a demonstration of righteousness that says as a young man or as a young woman, as you grow You unite your heart with another person and you do it before God saying, I'm giving my life to you and you're going to give your life to me. And now granted, and we'll get to the exceptions maybe, but here's the point. There there is a plan of righteousness that is best for you. And yes, it may be difficult. And yes, it may be hard. But the God who created us gives us the power to do this, those who are believers, to walk in Him. And we are able to live faithfully to one another sexually. And that is God's plan. And anything outside of that is not just an alternative life choice. Anything outside of that is not just... uh, the way of the world and we don't like it so we don't have to listen to it anything outside of that is not well that might be true for you religious people but that's not true for us it, we anything outside of that is sin it's a reproach to a holy god it's sin now what does god do god sent his son the lord jesus christ in order that we might have what what did he say in verse 38 forgiveness of sin that we might be washed and that we might be cleansed. That we might be restored and made new. And that restoration is throughout Scripture. Restoration is throughout Scripture. We are told that God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. We're told that God can, can take that which is broken and make it whole. We're told that God can take that which is, is sick and make it complete and healthy. And, and we go through these experiences depending upon on God, being willing to hold to the truth of God's Word in our heart and in our lives. And it doesn't mean that we don't love people who are in sin. As a matter of fact, we're sent to proclaim the gospel. We're sent to proclaim good news. We're sent to demonstrate the love of God like Paul and Barnabas are doing in this context, but not compromising the truth of God's Word. We embrace God's Word, and we allow God's Word to work in us. And what it does is it keeps us right where God would have us to be. Does Does that make sense at all? And it will change your thinking. Because I don't know what influence the world has had upon you, but the, the, the Satan hates the truth. He's the father of lies. He hates it. And so what he will do is he'll bring peer pressure to bear, or he'll bring public opinion to bear, or he'll bring something else to bear so that you can say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I believe the Word of God, but that shouldn't stop me from doing what I want to do. And Scripture says, if, you, if you're saved... It does. 
And all of a sudden, once you understand this is God's word and this is God's revealed will and this is the steps that God would have me to take and this is the way that God would have me live into this truth, God works within us to give us the power to stand firm. We embrace what God says and we allow God to work within us to change our perspectives on how we view life, how we view the world that we're in and how we relate to others. And how we relate to others is the last thing. These folks rejected the Word. Many of them rejected the Word of God. Many did not, but many rejected the Word of God. And the Word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, verse 49 and 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. They kept right on with the message. They kept right on with the ministry. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to not incite one another against the truth of God's word. We need to incite. I use, I'm using this same word just in a different way. We need to incite one another to obedience. We need to be, a better word maybe is encouraging one another to live in obedience and to embrace truth we need to live in the context of coming alongside of one another not to be opposed to what god is saying but to embrace what god is saying i'm going to go ahead and tie this up by telling you that if you are looking for joy and contentment peace and purpose. I'm messy. I keep notes in my Bible. It's found as a believer when you're in communion and fellowship with God. And the way that we embrace communion and fellowship with God is by communicating with Him and listening as He communicates with us. And so, God speaks. He speaks the right message at the right time through the right means, for the right purpose. It's hard for us to seek His will when we already know what he wants, we want Him to say and we have to be willing to say, Father, Your Word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You know my own thoughts and motivations and intents of my heart. I may not know them. And it may be this issue. It may be how I relate here. It may be what I do there. But I need to hear from You. And I will tell you, that there have been many times in my life when I've gone to God with what I perceive to be a very, very clear question. Father, should I do this or should I not do this? Father, should we do this as a family or should we not? Father, what should we do here? And you begin to pray and you seriously pray and so you pray and you pray and you pray. And I have found myself many times arguing with what I knew God wanted me to do. And so when you find yourself rationalizing and arguing... God has spoken. And the choice then is yieldedness or rebelliousness. And I got to tell you, we have an amazingly gracious God who when we, when we close our minds to Him and we close our eyes to Him and we close our hearts to Him, and we get mad and say, God, I don't want to. He continues to love us. And He continues to not change His truth to suit us, but to 
communicate his truth to us and to call us. And then he gives us the ability to walk in obedience to the things that he's told us to do. Isn't God good? Aren't you glad that we serve a gracious God? So if you're here today, or as we are here today, we're going to go ahead and close this portion of the service. But as we're here today, I have a question for you. What has God been telling you that you've been arguing with him about? Where has there been conviction or guilt or discomfort or a lack of peace that God's been dealing with you and you know what he's saying or you think you know what he's saying? You have been... It's gotten to the point where you don't even want to pray about it anymore because it's not happening like you think it ought to happen. And God this morning is telling you, listen, I'm speaking, and I'm speaking to you in this circumstance, and I'm speaking to you in this situation, and it's time for you to just submit and say yes. To agree with me. When you do that, Let me tell you what happens. (laughs) Number one, it's hurtful and it's painful to get to that point. But once you get to that point, it's like having the burden lifted. It's like having the pain removed. It's like that uncertainty and that discomfort in a relationship goes away and there is a renewal of intimacy and a renewal of joy. And so, I don't know how God's applying this to your heart today. All I know is that if you're... God's speaking. Will you embrace his truth and allow his word to work in you? Father, I want to thank you that you are here. I want to thank you that you are speaking. I want to thank you that you speak into the specific circumstances of our life. It may be that there's one here who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, still trying to be good enough or just good enough so that they can get to heaven, but... No, no yieldedness, not, still wanting to be their own decision maker, still wanting to be controlled, never come to the point of surrender and yieldedness to you. And I pray that you will continue to speak to them and bring conviction, that you will grant them repentance and that they will come to eternal life. Father, for those of us who are believers, a lot of us know your word. We know a good portion of your word. We've been exposed to it, but where it says we should believe this, we deny it. And where it says we should do this, we refuse. And where it says we should not do this, we go ahead, blithely and ignorantly presuming upon the grace of God. And I pray that whatever the issue is that people are hearing from you today, if, they're, if they are not embracing your word and your instruction and allowing it to work in their life, to conform them to the image of Christ, that you'll bring that to their mind. And that today, now, in these minutes now, they will respond by submitting and embracing your word. By yielding to it. By affirming it. And by you being glorified in them. We trust you to do this. We're glad you're a God who speaks. In your name I pray. Amen. My prayer is that God has spoken to you clearly today. That you've heard him. He's here and he speaks. But that you've been willing to listen and that you respond by embracing the truth of his word that you respond by allowing his word to work in you the consequences are horrible if you do not but the consequences are being filled with the holy spirit and rejoicing if you do isn't god good
God is so good. I pray that you will hear from him with clarity this week.